invite you to turn with me to our text today as it's found in Daniel chapter 2. Again, we'll pick up the context beginning in verse 36 through verse 40. <clears throat> this is the dream, and we will tell the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom, power, and strength, and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of the heaven hath he given into thine hand, and hath made thee ruler over them all. Thou art this head of gold. And after thee shall arise another kingdom inferior to thee, and another third kingdom of brass, which shall bear rule over all the earth. And the fourth kingdom shall be strong as iron, for as much as iron breaketh in pieces and subdueth all things. And as iron that breaketh all these shall it break in pieces and bruise. <clears throat> The world looks to political and to religious leaders <clears throat> to bring peace to this earth that is covered with various conflicts and wars. The leaders may change from age to age, but whether it be the United Nations or any leader or empire of the past or of the present, they have all failed, failed miserably to bring a lasting peace to this world. Historians claim the so-called Pax Romana, Roman peace, brought a period of peace the likes of which had not been known up to that point in time. For just over 200 years, from 27 BC to 180 AD, uh, there was a relative peace <clears throat> in the world in general, brought about by God's providence as Rome, through its conquests, its mighty arm uh, and its legs of iron, swallowed up uh, the previous kingdoms, the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, and the Greek kingdoms. All the territory that they had were swallowed up by Rome. And not only did the empire of Rome envelop all of those great kingdoms which preceded it, <clears throat> which were mainly in the east, eastern part of the world, but it extended its boundaries uh, to the west as far as what is now Europe, uh, even to England. But the great Pax Romana of the Roman Empire, like all of those times and periods before it and since, fell under the mighty judgment of God. It weakened. It finally collapsed under the weight of its own idolatry and rebellion against Jesus Christ and under the weight of its own corruption, tyranny, and immorality. But dear ones, where the Pax Romana, Roman peace, failed, the Pax Christiana, Christian peace, will succeed. For Jesus Christ... The Prince of Peace shall exercise his rule over all the earth 
from his throne there in heaven, so that all nations, Jew and Gentile alike, will be brought unto him, will acknowledge and own him, will be brought into the visible church of Jesus Christ. The kings and rulers of this earth will serve Christ and will rule on behalf of Christ. Now, won't that be a change? Will rule on behalf of Jesus Christ. Will acknowledge that they're ruling on behalf of Jesus Christ in truth and in righteousness during Christ's millennial reign from his throne in heaven. Then will be realized the prophecy that is found in Isaiah 2, 4. And he shall judge among the nations, speaking of the Messiah, Christ. He shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Interestingly, that is quoted uh, in, uh, on some part of the United Nations, uh, this particular verse. Uh, they've got it all wrong, though, as far as uh, it's not they that are going to bring peace. It's Jesus Christ that will bring peace. The Pax Christiana, Christian peace, is realized during through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ and his kingly rule. That's the only hope for the world. And it's not simply a hopeful wish. It is a certain hope. It will come to pass. Well, we come this Lord's Day to the next kingdom in Nebuchadnezzar's dream of that great image. That is the kingdom of Rome, the kingdom of iron. And so let us consider the following main points. Number one, <clears throat> Rome before Christ and the apostles. Number two, Rome at the time of Christ and the apostles. And number three, Rome after Christ and the apostles. So first main point, Rome before Christ and the apostles. Back to the dream very briefly of Nebuchadnezzar. You'll recall again in this image, from the top of the image in his dream, uh, we move to the bottom of that image. We start from the top, moving down to the bottom. The head of gold was Babylon. Uh, the chest and the arms of silver were Medo-Persia. The belly and the thighs uh, of, of uh, brass were Greece. And then now we come to the legs of iron which would be Rome. Each successive kingdom not only takes the territory of the previous kingdom before it, but each kingdom afterward adds to that territory, becoming stronger and stronger, which I, I believe is represented by the strongness of each of those metals, gold, silver, brass, and then iron. And this is especially true of Rome. The chief characteristic in Daniel 2.40 of this fourth kingdom is that it will be, quote, strong as iron, end of quote. There was not a stronger metal known <clears throat> at that time in history than iron. The kingdom represented by iron, namely Rome, we are told here, would break in pieces, break in pieces all the other kingdoms. None would be able to stand before the kingdom of Rome. Hold your place there and turn with me to Daniel 7. Daniel 7. Because uh, as we've noted 
earlier in other sermons, the four uh, kingdoms that are displayed and represented in the image of Nebuchadnezzar uh, are here likewise displayed in four beasts. We saw in chapter 7, verse 4, first the Babylonian kingdom was represented by a lion, had eagle's wings. Verse 5, the Medo-Persian kingdom was represented by a bear that's raised up on one side, Persia being higher than Media, it had three ribs, Babylon, Lydia, Egypt uh, in its mouth had uh, overtaken those kingdoms. In verse 6, <clears throat> there is uh, this image of a, of a leopard, which represents the Grecian kingdom, um, which was, again, initiated by Alexander the Great. But notice that it has four heads, Uh, The kingdom of Alexander would be broken up into four uh, parts. The first part uh, would be uh, uh, Greece and and Macedon. And then the second part would be uh, Asia Minor and Thrace. The third part would be Syria. And the fourth part would be Egypt. And so... Those would represent the four heads, which we looked at last Lord's Day. But now we come to verse 7. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly. See here, um, this, uh, this beast uh, is not even given a name. It doesn't even represent any other animal. It's, it's so... Uh, horrendous. It, it is so mighty. Uh, it doesn't even compare to any of the previous beasts. And so it's not even likened uh, to any other animal at all as the uh, previous three beasts and kingdoms that, uh, that are represented by those beasts. Uh, but here uh, we continue <clears throat> And it had great, uh, great iron teeth. It devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it. And it had ten horns. Uh, we'll wait on the ten horns um, uh, at a, uh, to talk about that uh, in a subsequent sermon because uh, that's where we come to next in the image where you have the... the uh, feet and the toes that are mixed with clay and iron, uh, that would be uh, that Roman Empire, which was once united, is broken up and divided. And so the ten horns, horns would have to do with those kingdoms uh, that were formed out of that united Roman uh, Empire. <clears throat> And so, both in chapter 2 and in chapter 7, we see that Rome succeeded Greece in ruling the world at that time. But what was uh, the history of Rome? Just very, very briefly, what was the history of Rome uh, before Christ and the apostles? Rome is, according to legend, a... Uh, to have been founded in 753 B.C. by Romulus, who was the first king. Rome became the undisputed kingdom of iron when both the kingdoms of Syria and Egypt, which were part of the Grecian Empire, when Rome finally subdued Syria and Egypt, then again, Rome became the undisputed kingdom of iron. That was in 63 BC. Interestingly, the history of Rome 
is not one of continuity by way of the same form of government throughout, uh, throughout its history. As in our case, though our history is much shorter in, in the United States, it, it is essentially the same form of government throughout our period of history. It's not true of Rome. Uh, over the, the next 700 years, uh, Rome would actually have uh, six or seven, seven different forms of government that would rule over it. And those seven forms of government are actually signified and represented in Revelation 13 by seven heads that are upon this Roman beast upon which this harlot uh, sits. Uh, the harlot church of Rome sits in Re Revelation 17. And so turn with me for a moment to Revelation 13 verses 1 through 3. Revelation 13, 1 through 3. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Well, that's interesting because that's exactly what happened in Daniel 7. Those four beasts arise out of the sea. So that's parallel. Notice then, in continuing in Revelation 13, 1, having seven heads and ten horns and upon his horns ten crowns and upon his heads the same name or the name of blasphemy and the beast which I saw was and notice again what this beast in Revelation 13 what animals it resembles and the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. So here are three of the four animals mentioned back in Daniel 7, which composed this particular beast in Revelation 13. But you notice the fourth beast of Daniel 7 is not mentioned here uh, in Revelation 13 because the beast itself is the fourth uh, beast of Daniel 7. The beast of Revelation 13 is that fourth beast of Daniel 7. And then verse 3, Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. Okay, the seven heads. I want to just uh, uh, indicate that this is, I believe, uh, uh, an excellent summary. We're talking about the history of Rome, uh, but here's an excellent summary found in prophecy of Rome's history. The seven heads of this beast, this Roman beast, signify a kingdom notice notice it's a kingdom that's that has seven mountains or seven hills notice in verse 9 turn to i'm sorry turn to revelation 17:9 <clears throat> and here is the mind which hath wisdom the seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sitteth. Seven mountains or seven hills. Well, Rome was known as the city built upon seven hills. In fact, the Roman historian Suetonius, who lived from 69 to 122 AD, writes in his book, uh, The Lives of the Twelve Caesars, that there was an annual feast in Rome called the Feast of the seven hills. Instead of saying the feast of Rome, it was called the feast of the seven hills. Moreover, we learned from uh, Revelation 17 that uh, 
these seven heads on this Roman beast are said to signify seven kings in verse 10. Revelation 17.10. And there are seven kings. Five are fallen, one is, and the other is not yet come. And when he cometh, he must continue a short space. Uh, these kings, or kingdoms, or administrations of the one kingdom throughout history of Rome are, uh, I believe, uh, what are represented uh, by the seven heads. We'll get more into the detail of this, I think, as we uh, come to Revelation chapter 7, I'm sorry, Daniel chapter 7. I do want to tie and correlate more and more of the book of Revelation with Daniel, but this is just intended today to be more of an overview uh, than to go into a lot of detail. Interestingly, uh, ancient Roman historians like uh, Livy, uh, who lived from 59 BC to 17 AD, that's spelled L-I-V-Y, and Tacitus, who lived from 56 AD to 118 AD, in recounting the history of Rome, identify uh, six different forms of government up to their particular period of time in which they lived. Six different forms of government that ruled in Rome and ruled consecutively. Uh, the first form of government was kings, uh, beginning in 753 BC, followed by consuls, that's C-O-N-S-U-L-S. -S. There were two consuls that ruled over Rome after the kings. Then there was a council of ten, ten that were appointed to rule over Rome. And then there were military tribunes, fourthly, uh, military tribunes that ruled over because of all the wars that R Rome was involved in throughout the world uh, that uh, they judged that it would be better not for a uh, civilian to be ruling, but, but rather for uh, military uh, tribunes to be ruling. That's the fourth. The fifth uh, was uh, dictators. Julius Caesar was the last dictator uh, in a list of dictators that ruled over Rome. And the sixth one that is identified by Livy and Tacitus. The sixth form of government in Rome was emperors, emperors, uh, which uh, began with Augustus, Caesar Augustus, in 27 uh, BC, and stretched uh, that uh, list of emperors stretches, uh, particularly those reigning from Rome uh, stretches from 27 BC uh, all the way to 476 AD. The last of the emperors was Romulus Augustus. He was deposed uh, by a Germanic uh, ruler. So that accounts for six of the seven heads. We're talking about, again, the history of Rome, the various forms of government that ruled over Rome, some of those forms of government, uh, most of them um, that we just talked about were before Christ and the apostles. Um, the, last of the last one mentioned there, the sixth uh, form of government, the sixth head, began before Christ and the apostles, 27 BC, but it stretches uh, throughout uh, that period of uh, the early church uh, and all the way to 476 AD. So having accounted for six of the heads, uh, if, this is, if this is accurate, uh, and there are many theories as to, many ideas as to what the seven heads represent, and as I said, We'll get into more detail in a subsequent sermon, but in this one, this is just more of an overview. But where does the seventh head come in? Uh, if the sixth head goes by way of emperors all the way to 476, 
where is the seventh head uh, in uh, this Roman beast that we find in Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. Well, the seventh head, uh, I would submit, is likely the rule of patricians. Uh, patricians were fa uh, basically mean fathers. Uh, and uh, really, under the rule of patricians, there were only two patricians, and they together only reigned for, uh, ruled for 47 years. Uh, that's why we see in Revelation 17 that it says uh, in verse 10, and there are seven kings, five are fallen, uh, one is and the other is not yet come, and when he cometh, he must rule a short space. So this, this seventh one is the one that shall come from the time of John, and he will rule for a short space. 47 years patricians ruled. Uh, those patricians were Pepin and Charlemagne in 753 to 800. Just note uh, again um, in verse 10, when it talks about the seven horns being seven kings, five are fallen. So uh, John uh, receives this revelation that five of the horns uh, being kings or administrations of the kingdom of Rome have already fallen. So that means that the, that the administration of kings has fallen, the administration of consuls had fallen, the administration of the Council of Ten had fallen, the administration of mili military tribunes had fallen, and the administration of dictators had fallen. So five had fallen. The one that is presently, when it says, and one is, so the head that is, the sixth head, is the head of emperors. Emperors were then ruling at the time that John wrote uh, the Revelation. That's the head that is presently ruling in Rome. And so we've accounted for all seven. Uh, interestingly, uh, one of the heads back in Revelation 13, one of the heads uh, is noted uh, in verse 3 to receive a deadly wound. Revelation 13, 3, And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed, and all the world wondered after the beast. So one of the heads was wounded, received a deadly blow. Uh, which head was that out of the seven? Well, I, I submit to you uh, that, that the head that was wounded to death was the head of the emperors. Uh, when uh, Romulus Augustus was deposed in 476, emperors came to an end. Uh, there were not any more emperors until 800 AD when Charlemagne was crowned emperor by Pope Leo III in Rome on December the 25th. These words were used by Pope Leo III as he crowned Charlemagne. Most serene Augustus. The last Augustus was Romulus Augustus in 476, who was deposed. But now Charlemagne is crowned most serene Augustus, crowned by God, great and pacific, that is peaceful, emperor, governing the Roman Empire. Those words are not accidental, I submit to you, but fulfill, again, uh, the coming and healing of that sixth head that received the deadly wound, appeared to be dead, it came to life again in Charlemagne in 800 AD. And in fact, uh, it is called, this, this healing of, the, of that sixth head 
uh, is called the eighth head in Revelation 17, verse 11, and the beast that was and is not, even he is the eighth and is of the seven and goeth into perdition. Now that sounds like a great mystery or riddle, does it not? But it makes perfect sense uh, as we understand what we have just learned. Verse 11, and the beast that was, and this, this Roman beast that's uh, pictured here, the beast that was, and so it was by way of emperors in the sixth head. It was and is not because that head uh, ceased to rule. The emperors ceased to rule, so it was and is not and is of the seven. Even he is the eighth and is of the seven. So he's not, uh, he's not, when you look at the beast, it doesn't have eight heads. Why? It only has seven heads because the eighth head is the continuation of the sixth head. Emperors that continued in Rome, beginning with Charlemagne. And again, it says the eighth is of the seven, which one of the seven is the eighth? It's the, of the sixth head, the head of the emperors. Just as the expansion of the Greek kingdom under Alexander brought a common language throughout the world at that time, allowing the Hebrew scriptures of the Old Testament to be translated into the Greek language called the Septuagint, and bringing a common language uh, for the presentation of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the known world at that time. So likewise with Rome, what did Rome contribute especially uh, to the promotion of the gospel? Well, In God's wise plan, the expansion of the Roman Empire, not only in the eastern part, but in the western part of the the world, brought the world closer and closer and closer together by way of the network of Roman roads that that transversed the the whole kingdom, making it uh, uh, not something almost impossible to get from one place, but roads, sturdy, well-built, that lasted hundreds, uh, sometimes thousands of years, of these Roman roads connecting city to city so that uh, the apostles and Christians could take the gospel of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. They conquered the, the world for Jesus Christ in one sense. They weren't doing so knowingly, but they conquered the world so that the gospel, the gospel could be taken throughout the world. The second main point, Rome at the time of Christ and the apostles. I know that uh, looking at uh, Revelation 13 and 17 moved us beyond uh, uh, Rome before Christ and the apostles into the period of Christ and the apostles and then into the period after Christ and the apostles but there is really no way to, to break up you know, talking about you know, the seven heads. But uh, now we actually move to talk about Rome at the time of Christ and the apostles. Caesar Augustus, the first emperor of Rome uh, in 27 BC, uh, is the beginning of the sixth head of the beast that we had just been talking about. He was an emperor. He was the one ruling uh, when Jesus Christ was born in Luke 2.1. We read that there was um, uh, that there was a tax uh, throughout the whole world appointed by Augustus. uh, And and so this was the uh, at that time that Augustus was ruling was the very time in which the Lord Jesus was born there in Bethlehem. And so the 
Pax Romana, Roman peace, is said to, to have begun under the rule of Caesar Augustus. The emperors and their governors, provincial governors, uh, throughout the Roman Empire, during the life of Jesus Christ and of the apostles, were either curious about this new, what they believed was a new religion, or they were indifferent to it, uh, uh, at least during uh, the life of Christ, or they manifested an extreme hatred to the opposite extreme, manifested an extreme hatred for Christians like Nero and Domitian. Hatred for Christians primarily arose because they would not bow the knee uh, to the emperor as a god, or they would not incorporate the pantheon of gods uh, of Rome into uh, their worship of the one true living God. Rome, like the previous kingdoms in Nebuchadnezzar's image, uh, was a polytheistic uh, empire that sought to unite all of these peoples throughout the world by incorporating their gods, allowing them to continue to have uh, their local gods. Uh, but if you were polytheistic, you didn't really mind incorporating the gods of other nations into your pantheon. Um, you may have your chief god, and what uh, within paganism, one might have uh, his own chief god, but again, the pantheon just continued to grow uh, as Rome spread. And so that was, again, a from the point of view of uniting diverse kingdoms, that was one of the uh, strategies and plans of Rome to bring the empire together was to allow these various conquered kingdoms to retain their gods and for all of that to be brought into Rome's polytheism. But here uh, come the Christians. Uh, and the Christians... Uh, uh, are not going to be incorporating any of these gods uh, into their system. Uh, they're going to be resisting. They're going to be standing against uh, this. They're not only not going to incorporate them, they're going to testify against the false religions, these gods and goddesses that all of these nations uh, worshipped. And so, like the Jews that we considered last Lord's Day that were faithful during the time of Antiochus Epiphanes. So Christians during the time of Rome, uh, particularly looking now at the time of Christ and the apostles, again would not bow the knee uh, to uh, Caesar, uh, would not bow the knee to uh, their gods or their goddesses. In the book of Acts, you'll remember in Acts 17 that Paul goes to Athens and it's filled with so many images and, and so many statues of all of the gods throughout Athens and Paul notes that they even made uh, an image to the unknown god in case they missed anybody they made an image to the unknown god uh, there and so Paul picks up on that and that becomes a, a kind of a place where he challenges them to come to the one true living God uh, who is unknown to them at that time, though he has created them. And uh, so that becomes, again, dis displays the polytheism that was rampant uh, throughout the Roman Empire. Likewise, you remember in uh, Acts 19 that there's a riot that occurs in Ephesus Great is, the, is Diana of the Ephesians. The whole city is in tumult and they have to be quieted down lest if they continue, the Roman troops will have to be brought in to quell the riot. That was the, that was the, uh, the idolatry. And associated with idolatry was 
immorality, temple prostitution, sanctioned uh, by their religion as well, which obviously didn't stay within the temple, but was spread throughout the whole empire as well. So Christians had a head-on collision uh, with emperors during the time of life of Christ and the apostles and thereafter. Claudius, Emperor Claudius, who, who reigned from 41 to 54 AD, Nero, who reigned from 54 to 68 AD, Domitian, who reigned from 81 to 96 AD. Uh, these, again, were, were uh, in each of these cases, very strident, uh, very um, hostile uh, to Christianity and to the one true religion. Um, we read, for example, of uh, Claudius, uh, he expelled uh, the Jews, including Jewish Christians, from Rome in 49 AD, which included uh, Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, we read in Acts 18.12 that they, it says just by way of note, that they had been expelled, and so that was during the reign of Claudius. Uh, Nero, uh, used Christians as human torches to light his garden and put the skins of animals on them and fed them to wild beasts in the Colosseum. Uh, Paul was martyred uh, during the reign of Nero, as was likely Peter. Domitian, Emperor Domitian, extended the persecution of Christians beyond the boundaries of Rome to arrest the Apostle John, uh, who was in Asia Minor. According to Tertullian, an early church father, John was boiled in oil, but miraculously preserved from any harm or any danger, much like the um, three friends of Daniel, the fiery furnace. And then and as much as that didn't work, uh, he was then exiled to Patmos, the Isle of Patmos, from where he wrote, uh, received the revelation that we have the last book of our Bible. Caesar worship during this period of time was enforced as a uh, test of loyalty uh, to Rome and Christians by certain of the Caesars and certain of these emperors. So that Christians became uh, arch enemies of the state. Not only, again, because of their religion, but the religion uh, was so tied together with the state that not to honor the Caesar as God, which is a religious issue, became a political issue, became one in which the Christians must suffer uh, and uh, be persecuted for. Rome feared Christians would bring division and conflict, uh, which they would, uh, obviously, uh, into their Pax Romana. Julius Caesar allowed himself to be worshipped as God, but his successor, Augustus, only allowed emperor worship outside of Rome, the city of Rome. Augustus is known in some inscriptions as the Son of God. Worship of the emperor's image was uh, a regular military duty. They worshiped the image of the Caesar. Nero, before Nero, Caligula, Caligula, Emperor Caligula, was the first emperor to demand to be worshiped, to demand or require to be worshiped. Nero also claimed to be divine. Domitian ordered people to confess he was Lord and God as a test of loyalty, lest they lose their lives. So, we think we have it hard now. Uh, again, as we go back in history, we see exactly what Christians had to endure uh, back at that particular time of Rome. Persecution of Christians who would not bow the knee to the emperor or to the gods of Rome 
began during the time of Christ and the apostles. It continued after their, 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 their death, after the death of Christ and the apostles, but it began during the period of Christ and the apostles. Jewish leaders even conspired at times to, with the Roman governors and leaders to destroy Christians, as we see in the case of Jesus conspiring with Pilate, and in the case of Paul, conspiring with Festus, Felix, Agrippa as well. One other point uh, to make with regard to Rome in, during the time of Christ and the Apostles, and we'll move then on to the last main point. The Romans under Titus, who subsequently became emperor of Rome, destroyed Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD. This was first prophesied back in Daniel 9.26, where it speaks of the, of the city and the sanctuary uh, becoming desolate, Daniel 9.26, and, and is mentioned by the Lord Jesus in Mark 13.14. He actually, in, Jesus takes his, his listeners back to Daniel and says, speaks of Daniel uh, and what Daniel prophesied with regard to the desolation that was to come upon Jerusalem uh, by Rome. However, according to Eusebius, uh, um, an early church historian writing in the uh, 4th century around the time of Constantine, around the time of uh, the Council of Nicaea, uh, uh, Eusebius says and writes in his history that Jewish Christians at that time in Jerusalem heeded the warning of Jesus and fled for safety to Pella, which was across the Jordan River, as the Roman troops advanced toward Jerusalem so that they were not swallowed up uh, in that great time of persecution. Okay, the third and final point in our brief overview of Rome, that fourth uh, kingdom represented by iron in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image. Third and final point, the history of Rome after Christ and the apostles. We already looked at some of the history when we looked at the seven heads um, because the sixth head runs past Christ and the, and the apostles. The, the seventh head runs past Christ and the apostles. And the revived or the eighth head, uh, the revival of the sixth head certainly runs past Christ and the apostles. So we've already looked at Rome to some degree after Christ and the apostles. But uh, let's just focus upon just these two uh, divisions of the history of Rome after Christ and the apostles. There are essentially two stages of the Roman Empire after uh, the apostles. There was the pagan stage and there was the Christian stage. The pagan stage, the pagan R Roman Empire, uh, was from 96 AD to 313 AD, ran from the Emperor Nerva to the Emperor Constantine. Great, great persecution, called the Ten Great Persecutions uh, uh, against believers, state-sponsored uh, persecution uh, came against those who stood for the Lord Jesus Christ by these uh, emperors. In fact, again, using prophecy uh, to our help and benefit, in Romans, I'm sorry, Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, the fifth, fifth seal, the fifth seal judgment that we read of says this, Revelation 6, 9 through 11, and when he had opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them. And it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. This uh, period that's speaking of here is during that period uh, after the apostles uh, here uh, where so many were slaughtered, so many were massacred, so many tortured uh, with uh, uh, just unheard of types of torture. Uh, and uh, here, again, we see a testimony uh, to their um, faithfulness, that they're safe. They're safe from all harm. They're safe from all danger, from all persecution that they endured. They're safe. They're protected. They're loved. They're at peace. They are in, again, that, that place of peace and the glories of heaven. But they are calling for God's judgment. They're calling for justice to the Lord to be poured out upon the Roman Empire, to be poured out upon those who uh, hated and despised Christ and despised those who followed Christ, calling for judgment. And we'll see in just a moment that that judgment falls in the next seal judgment. But before we get to that, one well-known testimony of a Christian martyr during this period was that of Polycarp, a pastor of the church of Smyrna, uh, who was martyred around 156 AD. Though some in Smyrna, and incidentally, Smyrna is one of the seven churches to whom the Lord Jesus sent letters uh, in Revelation chapters 2 through 3. And he was the pastor or the bishop of that particular church in Smyrna, Polycarp was. Though some professing Christians in Smyrna had taken the vow or the oath uh, which was being circulated, which must be taken, some professing Christians had taken that oath to own Caesar as Lord in order to save uh, their own lives. Polycarp refused the oath. He refused to curse Christ. He was promised that if he did so, especially because of his age, uh, an older man, at least 86 years old, uh, and uh, he was granted, uh, at least in this sense, pity we want, that he could uh, be spared uh, being uh, burnt at the stake uh, if he would simply renounce Christ, if he would offer incense and say, Caesar is Lord. This was his testimony at that time. Uh, not only before Smyrna, uh, this was his testimony before the whole world, before us. He said, Four score and six years, 86 years, have I been his servant, Christ's servant. And he hath done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king? who saved me. And he was then put to death for his testimony for Jesus Christ, the pagan Roman Empire, up until Constantine, 313. But then the Christian Roman Empire, from 313 A.D. to 476 A.D. Constantine the first brought an end to uh, the persecution of Christians with the Edict of Milan in 313 AD. 
Uh, at that time, Christianity was not established as the official religion of Rome, but it was brought into the religions that were tolerated within Rome, so that Christianity was no longer to be persecuted in 313. He uh, converted uh, to Christianity, uh, Constantine did, uh, but he did not establish Christianity as the only true religion within the Roman Empire, uh, but he was the one who began the process uh, of, of the pagan Roman Empire being rolled back. Uh, he was the uh, emperor that convoked, um, uh, convocated the, the uh, Council of Nicaea in 325 AD to address the heresy of Arianism, uh, which taught that uh, Christ uh, was of a similar substance with the Father, uh, but the orthodox position being Christ was of the same substance. The Son was of the same substance with the Father. So the full establishment of Christianity awaited, uh, as the religion of the Roman Empire awaited, Theodosius I in 380 AD. But Constantine began the, the Reformation that led to the downfall of pagan Rome, which, again, in Revelation 6, Revelation 6, the sixth seal, speaks of the judgment brought upon pagan Rome. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come and who shall be able to stand? using very figurative language there. Nevertheless, uh, that, I believe, refers to the, the downfall of pagan Rome, uh, beginning with Constantine, uh, which then brought uh, uh, Christian Rome, at least a nominally Christian uh, Roman Empire at that time. Uh, we will consider, as I said in another sermon, the divided Roman Empire, uh, uh, represented by the ten toes of Daniel 2 and by the ten horns of Daniel 7, uh, God willing, in the next sermon. But as I close, let me just uh, leave with you a couple applications. Toleration of false religion eventually leads to persecution of the true religion. Toleration, dear one, of pagan religion and all of its immorality was the plea of Rome throughout the Roman Empire. Tolerate, tolerate, tolerate. Tolerate the false gods. Tolerate the temple prostitution and all of the prostitution and immorality that flowed from it. Tolerate it. That's all that they wanted the Christians to do initially was just tolerate it. But they couldn't. They couldn't be faithful to Christ and yet tolerate these things. From toleration of false gods, historically, then it passed to acceptance and tests of loyalty, sacrificing to gods, acknowledging Caesar to be Lord and then cursing Christ. It started with toleration and then it led to persecution. So dear ones, beware. Beware of toleration. Beware of toleration of that which is evil. For that evil will rise up. That evil will rise up if it's tolerated 
it will rise up and destroy you. Beware of tolerating personal sins because those personal sins will rise up and destroy you. Beware of tolerating us as Christians, tolerating national sins because those national sins will rise up and destroy us if we tolerate them. <coughs> like, tolerate homosexuality. That's how it all began. Tolerate homosexuality. Then tolerate uh, unions, they called them, same-sex unions. Then tolerate marriages, so-called marriages. But what will happen is, and it's not simply toleration that they want, they want the destruction of the God-ordained institution of marriage altogether in family. They want to reconstruct, they want to devise and build something entirely different. But if we tolerate that in our own minds, in our own families, in our church, in any way, it will rise up and it will destroy us. If mighty Rome fell due to its wicked toleration and then its persecution after its toleration, so will this nation likewise be destroyed by its toleration. The hardships that befell Christians who could no longer join their loved ones at various feasts and festivals and, and celebrations because of the idolatry and immorality is simply a foretaste of what we who follow Christ must be willing to do. Can't tolerate, lest that will rise up, that very evil or sin rise up and destroy us. Second application. God heard the pleas of his faithful martyrs and witnesses in bringing judgment upon Rome. Their pleas in the fifth seal, in Revelation 6, 9 through 11, justice was brought. God brought justice in the sixth seal, in Revelation 6, 12 and following. Dear ones, let us not lose hope that justice will come. It may not come as soon as we want it to come. Justice will come. And in the meantime, until justice comes, let us not live in bitterness. Let us not live in, in uh, anger and bitterness and resentment in our hearts. Let that not reign within us. While we yet plead for God's justice, let us not allow evil to be that we receive to return evil that comes our way. But rather, rather let us overcome evil with good. As Jesus teaches and as Paul teaches. This is a long battle. It's not one in a day or two. This is a long battle. But the outcome is absolutely certain. Our glorious Lord Jesus reigns. He will overcome all of the empires, the evil empires, the evil nations and wicked nations of this age as he has in the past. His kingdom, Christ's kingdom, is the one that shall prevail. And dear ones, there can only be true peace. Peace within a family, peace within a church, peace within a nation. There can only be true peace within one's heart and soul through Jesus, who is the Prince of Peace. Because the problem of the world is sin, and the political remedies do not deal with sin. Only Christ and his death and his resurrection deal with the problem as to why there's not peace, as to the issues of sin. Only Christ and his death and resurrection deal with that. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. 
the world can't give this peace. It promises peace, but it can't give this peace. It can't deliver. Only Jesus can deliver on this peace. Do not, therefore, dear ones, do not be rebels against the peace of Christ. Come to Jesus Christ. Submit yourself that you may know the peace of God, peace with God, and peace of God, peace with God, sin being removed so that now you have fellowship and communion with, with the Lord, and peace of God that reigns over you through whatever you go. Jesus says in Revelation, and he says to not only those churches to whom he wrote, he says to us as well, be thou faithful unto death and thou shalt receive the crown of life. Amen. Please stand with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, what comfort it brings our hearts to know that this world is ruled and controlled by thee. And though the enemy, though Satan stirs up the nations and though uh, Satan stirs up persecution against Christians, Lord, uh, it is not Satan that rules. It is Jesus Christ that rules and uh, uses even the wicked leaders of this world and uses Satan to accomplish his own holy purposes and most wise purposes. So our Father, what a joy to be able to submit ourselves unto Jesus Christ even now. For therein is peace in all of our trials and tribulations, afflictions, heartaches, in all the tyranny, persecution, that comes in this world that promises peace we only find true peace in our Savior we thank you that he has brought to us the Pax Christiana that Christian peace Lord let us rest in our Savior for we ask in Jesus name Amen